Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska and Ben, uh, it's been uh, it's been a couple weeks since we had a Ronnie Rocket special, and we didn't know if we were gonna if that was it. But two of our uh, favorite people in the world, David Bushman and Mark Evans, wrote a great book, Murder at Teal's Pond, and we figured, hey, we should have them on the show. And this is like years in the making. I mean, I've been hearing about this book for, for <laughs> a long time. So I'm so excited that we, we get to read this and now we get to talk about it. And this is so great. Thank you guys for coming on the show. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, yeah. guys. Congratulations on having the book on January's pick for Oxygen's book club. Uh, How did you guys find out about that? And I had no idea Oxygen had a book club. So how, <laughs> how did that all happen for you guys? Our publisher is Thomas and Mercer, and they um, they have in-house publicity, and they also have um, they also hire um, at least for us they did they hired an outside contractor with a company called Dandelion, um, a woman named uh, Courtney, who had they've been great, and they've gotten us mm. you know a lot of um, a lot of attention and a lot of uh, interviews, um, and they got I think it was Kristen at uh, Thomas and Mercer who got. The Oxygen Book Club uh, gig, I guess, for us, which yeah, was a was a great thing for us. We did an interview with them um, recently, and that went really well. And um, that is really exciting news. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I didn't know they had a book club either, but now I do. That's awesome. It's so awesome. Uh, yeah. So congratulations again. That's really that's an accomplishment to be on a book club's list of any. You know, that's great. Right. Yeah. I'd love to start this off kind of like kind of seeing how you guys got together and, and came out with this book. But starting off with, you know, way back in March 23rd, 2016, the first time I had heard about Hazel Drew was from Mark's podcast, Dear Metal Radio. <laughs> and you had, I don't think I remember hearing anything about that, but you decided to put, put a show together just on Hazel Drew. And first of all, you know, Mark Frost didn't call her Hazel Drew, it was Hazel Gray. So you, you Mark, you want to briefly talk about that and maybe kind of go from there and talk about how it, we got to the book. Yeah, you're right. So just, we were talking about uh, a little bit uh, before the air, it's almost five years since the return. That's kind of what got us all, uh, all of us, I think, kind of going in this business or whatever mm. we're doing here. Um, but yeah, I was doing uh, Dear Meadow Radio uh, in anticipation of the new season of Twin Peaks and digging around looking for things to, uh, you know, kind of uncover things that hadn't maybe been discussed. And with Twin Peaks, so much of it over the years had been, you know, really covered. But I think when we came back, what we had that they, we didn't have back in the 90s for at that period was the, you know, the internet. You're able mm. to kind of make all these other connections. Back in the day, you had wrapped in plastic and, you know, that was about it. Maybe some basic primitive news groups, I guess, at the time also. Um, but yeah, looking at uh, the origins of Twin Peaks, I was kind of, you know, looking through the, the traditional analysis. The you were trying to get into the pilot, I the think. Pilot, was, yeah, the pilot, yeah, that's what it was. I was the pilot. Well, I had a big plan, you know, I was going to systematically go through everything. We got through the pilot, <laughs> I guess. I don't know how much farther we got. But yeah, looking for um, inspirations, uh, the origins behind uh, the pilot, and looking at things like their past work. Frost had done uh, a movie. What was that movie? The Believers, not too mm. long before that. Lynch had done Blue Velvet, both, you know, kind of tied into Twin Peaks in a way. But yeah, the one thing that um, was kind of unique that, you know, made me 
made my eyes jump open. And, you know, in parallel, David was kind of working on a book, Twin Peaks FAQ, in a similar way, looking in, you know, unexplored areas, explored areas, unexplored areas. And we both kind of saw Frost. It w there were two or three, actually, uh, looking around, uh, references to this, like you said, hazel gray, um, but very little um, information um, associated with it in the interview. You know, there wasn't any like follow up or anything. Um, I think um, most of these were, I'm not sure. Now. Oh, the uh, it was the 25th uh, anniversary of USC retrospective was sort of a notable one um, where he, he, he referenced this, um, but they just kind of, you know, kept on. It might have been, and it was referenced once or twice over the years as well. For the podcast, I, I really wanted to find out if this was a true story. The way Frost talked about it was, it was kind of like a ghost story. Something his uh, grandmother had told him to kind of scare him, stay out of the woods. And I spent a weekend for the podcast. This is back when, you know, Knee Deep in Deer Meadow Radio, um, just on the internet using what little facts that Frost had provided to, to see if I could find a real case that had occurred 100 years ago around this time frame. And the, the big key, like you alluded to, was uh, that Frost had got the name wrong. It was not mm. Hazel Gray, it was Hazel Drew. And so the way I came upon that was I just, I kept the Hazel in the search engine, took out the, the Drew, um, and then all of a sudden, with those other facts, all of a sudden, now I'm finding actual newspaper articles, and there was, there was a plethora. Uh, so that's kind of how I got started. And hey, Martin, I just want to say, it was funny, like, yeah. on the podcast, you said, it wasn't like there was a book about this murder that you could just <laughs> open up and read. You had to find these articles and put them together. But it's funny to be like, to start off saying, hey, there's no book. And then you and David come together and make make a book. That is funny. I remember also saying at the time, because I, I just started looking into this, you know, I was supposed to be looking into Twin Peaks and was going to get to episode one and two and, you know, kind of keep going like that. I do remember another quote that this is going to turn into the the Hazel Drew podcast, which you know, in, in a sense, with the twist and the turns, that's what happened there. So yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep throwing things at you guys, but like, yeah. it's so funny that like, so the summer of the great, the summer of 2016, it was the Great Southern Twin Peaks Festival in Richmond, Virginia, and you guys were both there, <laughs> and I ran into Mark on the street, and he's like, "Hey, how you doing?" I mean, we met each other because we've done, you know, we did the podcast, but we never saw each other in person. We say hi, and then Mark is gone. I don't think you actually saw David when he was there. Were you? you didn't see. Were you? I didn't. I didn't speak to him. I didn't yeah. speak to him. What happened was, I I, I went to uh, a panel. I think you got. I think David was with his book at the time, so yeah. I, I did listen in on his panel. But what happened then? I think shortly after we met, is I I noticed my um, wedding ring was missing. Yeah. Very Twin yeah. Peaks, and I spent you know the next twelve hours or whatever it was trying to find which I never did. So yeah, that's why I kind of disappeared from all the festivities. <laughs> I think is what happened. I, I that that's, uh, that's perfect because if I could count all the times that Mark left something behind, <laughs> <laughs> we were going from place A to place B, usually his computer, but I think his wallet at one time. Oh, and man. So many things to keep, you know, <laughs> so many things. It's, it reminds me of me and Ben. How many times <laughs> Ben would show up for to record be like, I forgot my earbuds. I dropped them somewhere. <laughs> I forgot my computer. Like I, he would I'm, be I'm always mess. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Kind of like teenage daughters, you know? <laughs> and David, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself. Do you want to briefly say what is your book? I mean, I I just assume everybody already knows what we're talking about. Maybe you want to briefly say what is your book about? Uh, yeah, Murder Kills Pond is about the um nineteen oh eight murder of Hazel 
Drew, which Mark just referenced, Mark Givens just referenced, and um, it was one of two real uh, crimes that influenced Mark Frost when he uh, wrote the Laura Palmer arc, or when he was conceiving the Laura Palmer arc of um, of Twin Peaks, the original Twin Peaks. And so, and he says that he's mentioned he mentioned it to David Lynch, but he doesn't think Lynch remembered it. So we're talking about Mark Frost here, not not David Lynch, who has his own obsessions. And so it was an unsolved murder. She was a governess, I'm sorry, not a governess, but a homemaker or a domestic servant, they called it back in, in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, she lived in Troy and worked for some of the most pe- powerful people in the city. And um, one day she disappeared and they found her body, what, four days later, Mark, in, in a pond, which is again, you know, sort of mm-hmm. evocative of Laura. They went about, you know, trying to figure out who who had killed her, what she was doing there. There's tons of mis- mysterious questions, and um, you know, Mark Givens and I kind of spent five years trying to get to the bottom of it as as best we could. Uh, you know, Mark Frost was really helpful to us. He he, um, we interviewed him for a piece on um, that ran in the Washington Post uh, around the return, the premiere of the return about Hazel and. Um, he also wrote the forward to this book. Yeah, that's pretty nice. cool. And uh, David and Mark, just to go back, because I'm so interested to know when you guys finally crossed paths. And I was telling Ben back in October 2016, we went to the Mark Frost book signing and we met with you, David, for lunch. But Mark, you were there early. And I remember the four of us finding a place. And I believe it's the first time you guys ever met. And I also remember, uh, Mark, you talking about Hazel, uh, you know, uh, Drew, Hazel Gray at the time. Now, did you guys, I can't remember, was the idea of this brought to your attention from each other at at that time? Was was that the time you guys started talking about this? I don't remember. Do you, Mark, remember if at that point we had... um... Oh yeah, yeah. We had we. You're you're exactly right though, Brian. That was the first time we had met. Wow. We had spoken over the phone, which David just kind of. Uh, I don't know how that happened. A Twitter or something, you know, got in touch with me, and then we had a, a brief call, you know, just saying I had been looking at you know kind of what we were just talking about there. At that point, I wasn't even um, really thinking necessarily a book i was like oh this is a blockbuster movie or um really i from the start i always saw it as like at the time it was like um you know mad men and those kind of quality limited run shows 13 episodes a season or two i was was very naive you know it's it's not so easy to just (laughs) uh often run in with the tv show so um when david brought up the book and and we still kind of have ambitions. Um, we, we had some initial discussions along those lines. Basically, people wanted to see a, the story first and see the book. So um, that's that's how that path kind of came before us. And um, oh, okay. yeah, that's but cool. no, okay. no, back to your question, that was our, I think maybe we were solidifying our plans at that time. We had kind of like uh, spoke over the phone and yeah, that day in Borders or whatever that was. Yeah, Mark, yeah. Mark I, um, I know that day, if I'm not mistaken, you talked about how you wanted to bring something to Mark Frost's attention about this. Or you wanted to clarify with him. Can you remember what you said to him and what he said back well, to you? What was Yeah, I, I you know, I think I just introduced myself, but he he shot up with 
And then I think it was just like over, you know, we were in the borders for 12 hours. Yeah, yeah. This is over. <laughs> but he he did come back to uh, uh, me with, go look into, uh, you know, some hotel or something. The boarding house. The boarding house. Or, all right, wow. David, do you remember? Because I'm sure I brought it I, up I just remember you. you telling me, yeah, that, you know, you were, you were very, um, you know, um, I don't want to say fixated, but you really wanted to explore the boarding house. Uh, mm. Because but he, I mean, he just jumped up and was like, oh, make sure, you know, I think I was on my way out the line and he kind of called me back and said, go check that out. Oh. I think we did somehow, David or something did kind of follow up. And it wasn't like, you know, he had the, the missing piece. It was just something <laughs> he had kind of, you know, heard to check into. And I think we looked at it. But if you start to get into the story, there's that that's the story. There's yeah. rumors and twists and turns and suspects all over the place. So I think he just had another one that um maybe maybe speaking to his friend uh John. John Walsh. John Walsh, who yeah. was uh really involved in the research and, and connected us, but you know, with uh Mark Frost beforehand helped him look into this when I think he was working on Twin Peaks, uh was another guy. So that that might have been where it came from. I, I didn't even know what he meant by boarding house, but it, what it turned out to be was a place where um, a lot of uh, single women, I think, and single men would spend like a week, if like if they had a week summer uh, summer vacation, hmm. they would spend a week there. And uh, Hazel made a lot of friends through the boarding house and also some, you know, um, also um, some male admirers through that as well. People she stayed in contact with because they found letters to and from those people in her trunk later on. So there was definitely something there to pursue. But uh, Mark Givens is right in that I think Mark Frost knew very little about this at, at that at that point. He knows a lot more about it now because he's read our book. But, um, you know, he was just kind of throwing out an idea, I think, uh, yeah. at that point. I don't think in it made the Washington book. Post, <laughs> in that Washington Post article that you wrote, you interviewed Mark Frost, but you also interviewed Scott Frost. Yeah. Was there anything from Scott that you were able to get, or was it very similar because they both had grandmother who told them the story? Like, was there anything different from Scott that you may have gotten that helped you? My memory is very similar, you know, a different perspective. They were brothers, mm. you know, maybe the, you know, Rashman, the experience was a little bit different, but uh, not materially, no. I, and I don't think it really, that particular story struck a chord with Scott as much. You know, I think David's right. Mark Frost uh, apparently didn't know really any of the facts of the case, but just the idea of this dead girl by the pond, mm. which we're all familiar with, really, really stuck with him. So I think that uh, stuck a chord with him. I'm not even sure, David, do you recall if Scott Frost remembered that particular, you know? I can't remember. Yeah, I, did you know the thing that we left out of that story or because they had, um, if you remember this, Mark, but um, there was there was another part to that story that kind of uh, mitigated this sort of eeriness of it. But there was talk, Mark Frost, or, or it might have been Scott even, who mentioned that um, there was this wailing sound coming from the woods, and that mm -hmm. you know they all thought that this was the ghost. But it turned out to be um, does this ring a bell at all, Mark? It turned yeah. out to be a calf mm -hmm. that was had its leg stuck or something like that so this kind of wailing sound was reinforcing the idea of this ghost being there but you know that that always was uh, that but, was that like a separate kind of they were walking by the pond yeah, at, yeah, at yeah, one yeah. point and then heard a sound but nothing yeah, you know so it turned out to be yeah. nothing yeah okay yeah that does work well i'll say you know this book 
for me, I feel like probably Brian too. You know, we're we're pretty happy people, and we enjoy a lot of things. But this book really exceeds my expectation of how good it is. Like, it is such a damn good book. Yeah. And like, I'm amazed by how like the details and 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 the research that's put into this. And I feel like there's breadcrumbs, and we're being led through the whole thing. And it's so good. I would I would find myself trying to like solve the mystery myself as being like a detective and say, okay, there's something that seems strange about these family members. And could Hazel Dre be a prostitute? Or like you just like write all these like notes down <laughs> as you're going along. And it's just it's such a really good story. I'm so impressed with you guys and what you guys are able to put together. It read for me like a true crime documentary. Like I've watched enough of them in 2020, 2021. Um, but you got your book to me. I as soon as I started reading, I was like, I feel like, you know, I'm like watching a true crime documentary. Like I, I think your book lends to that very well. Um, like going back to what you're saying, Mark, about like a TV show or a limited series. I mean, yeah. I, I I could see that. When we we kind of stumbled upon this, you know, finally found out it wasn't Hazel Gray and Hazel Drew. There was just a, a story there, a lot of story with all kinds of twists and turns. And you know, I, I guess as we were saying, there was. Uh, it took us a while, I guess, to figure out how to to, to tell this story. You know, mm -hmm. um, just the the different ways you can, you know, writing style or, or choices. We ended up with. Uh, what we're what we termed creative nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So it is nonfiction and it is all factually based, but we do have um, these sort of interludes that you know we we felt you know there was these were good little uh, character scenes beyond the facts that uh, it helped kind of tell the story. Um, and our one of our editors uh, suggested that to us these little uh, vignettes, which I really enjoyed writing because you you get to know these characters really well. And then you're in, you know, in the in the paper they had a meeting and interrogation. Well, you kind of know the who the the police were at this point. You know who the uncle is at this point. You know what came out of this meeting. So it was just kind of fun to, uh, you know, they're because they were really strong characters. They're real people. I mean, and we, we yeah. got to know them to a, a a good degree. So that was fun. Um, but but what I think you were started this question off with Brian was, uh, you know, that going along with the investigation, which we were you know, lucky enough to, to be right there with. There was a point there, or several points, where we were thinking of like kind of writing it that way. You know, it was suggested we were, it was first person, you know, or we were saying, mm. as we want to go talk to somebody. Um, mm. So I'm glad at least some of that, I guess, survived in this the format of creative nonfiction. There was another way, I think when I first started writing, David, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this draft, but, I was almost writing it as a novel, you know, like mm. just the facts were there behind the scenes. And I think David's first draft was almost the complete opposite, where it was very factually based, you know, at 713, they came around this point, you know, and I'm like, ooh, the moody atmosphere. <laughs> I'm sure I was overdoing it. But, uh, so somewhere uh, over those years came up with, you know, what we came up with, with, with a, a lot of help from our um, editors and, and that whole team as well so i'm glad uh i'm glad that came through as well yeah how, how did you guys divvy up the work like that i mean obviously you guys went to the places together and all that stuff but i mean you guys are in two different states how did you guys like divvy up the workload i mean it, and it's a big undertaking the really good stuff is mine, and the not so good stuff is Mark's. <laughs> um, that makes so much sense. <laughs> um, wait, I wow. want to say that first of all, um, you know, you guys have a book, so you know that 
it's really nice to hear compliments. So thank you for that. And that's also why you guys, I think I've told you this before, you can't stop doing the podcast because you are so supportive of the Twin Peaks community. And that is like a really, um, for the for those of us who are out there who have benefited from your support, it's really hugely, um, we are hugely appreciative. And, and if you guys ever do stop this, I think that'll be a void that we'll all feel. So, um, but to answer your question, we, in terms of the research, well, first of all, we have different strengths. And Mark, mm. Mark is a great researcher, and he, um, he can he really gets into that and can just you know disappear down. A, he uses the expression rabbit hole um, on one thing, which is really valuable. I mean, I think the 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 issue sometimes with that is that we have deadlines and uh, mm. but sometimes speaking of the Beatles I felt a little bit like Paul McCartney trying to get the album together but um, <laughs> but I think that the book is so much better because we of the way we complement each other we mm. both went up there numerous times usually together I think that Mark, you may have been up there once without me, and I may have been up there a couple times without you when you were going through one of your crises. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but we both were up there a lot together. Um, so that, you know, we we had roundtable discussions that were arranged by the Sand Lake Town historian, Bob Moore, um, who was one of several people up there who were extremely helpful to us, Mark Marshall being the other one who was particularly helpful. Um, and so we both were up there for that. We recorded it. We um, Mark really got into um, ancestry, uh, checking into the um, ancestry of these different people. Mm. I sort of got off on my own tangents. Like there's a chapter on a, another crime that involves some of the same people. The Mamie Killian thing was something that I, uh, you know, we all just, we just kind of found what motivated us. And mm. it just turned out to be really, complimentary and i think mm -hmm. overall uh, you know speaking personally a really good working experience um, yeah i would definitely write another book with mark nice oh, that's great i love it um now did you guys have any did you guys ever hit any roadblocks like did like mark with the research did you ever get to a point where like i don't see this book coming together i'm not finding anything else out or were you like well we could still end this book, but we might just have more questions and answers. Yeah, it was it was such a long like process. There wasn't no like, yeah, it was more organic and, and things kind of developed. So there was always kind of something, you know, to look into. Um, and we didn't really worry about, I don't know, for years, you know, we, we said we it took us five or six years, whatever it is to write the book. But really, a lot of that was the research and yeah. going up there and figuring things out before we, you know, when we sat down to actually put the words on paper, to me, that's when it actually got a little challenging, you know, mm -hmm. but the, the research David alluded to with rabbit holes, I, I love that. So you could always just kind of keep looking and with the technology today, with the internet, with ancestry.com and newspapers.com, you know, you get a name and you could just spend days and weeks on, you know, a name who some knew somebody Hazel dated. You could spend days and weeks you know, just looking for something on this guy. Um, so there were a lot of gaps to fill and we just kind of kept accumulating things. I guess before we we focused on the, the solution, which, you know, the first couple years where where it kind of went that 
that we're pretty uh, convinced is a is a plausible solution. I was not even looking at that sort of set of facts and people uh, mm -hmm. in my mind. I had a couple of, you know, a couple of open possibilities that I thought it could be. And at that point, if we had to, had to write the book, I could have made, you know, here's my case against this guy, against this situation. I, I think I think that's what we maybe both felt. We never were stuck to one thing. I guess when we started talking to publishers, maybe that came up a little bit more like, oh, do you guys, you know, you plan on solving this? And I did plan on solving it, but not creating things. It was more like, well, we've been looking at it this is all, all the things we came up with. And, mm, you know, and yeah. that's basically what we ended up doing, you know, for our uh, sort of solution chapter at the end. Yeah. Kind of put everything together. Like I, I said, and I, I'll throw it out there if you guys have read the book, you know, come at us, you know, is I haven't seen anyone say a valid, like, no, no, this doesn't mm. make sense. You know, right. I, I mean, we're open to that. Our, our thing changed all the time, you know, um, but, but what we settled on, we're pretty comfortable with. I, yeah, think I don't want to spoil it because I think that experience of yeah. reading the book is so important. But I do find it interesting that you guys did. Like, I went into this book thing. This is an unsolved case. It's not going to be solved. We're going to be left with, and we really don't know who the killer is. But you guys come at it and say, this is our interpretation of who, who it is and stuff. And I think that is so awesome. My question is, it's kind of a... In the process, you figured out who the killer was, killers were, whatever, and then do you go back and kind of lay, lay the breadcrumbs? Or does it work like that, or is that is it? Do you kind of like say, okay, we, we got to make sure if we think it's these person or people that they're mentioned not in the book? You know what I'm saying? Like, I jump in real quick. The, when we when we kind of it kind of clicked, and we were like, oh, it looks like this is our. Our guy. Then we started looking into those guys, kind of yeah. to that area more. You look and look, and then something that may seem innocuous, if you didn't already have this, you know, then it's, oh, well, this is connected. I don't know if that, if that <laughs> yeah. that's in my brain. I don't know if that translated outwards. That's kind of how we built it. David, does that ring true? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I also, I wanted to say that before I, uh, answer that question, which is a great question, by the way. But um, when we were going out to publishers, one one publisher said to me, and this is one reason why with Scott Ryan, I, I formed Fayetteville Mafia Press, but one publisher actually said to me, we don't publish books with that don't have the solution. We don't publish histories mm -hmm. that don't have a solution. And, and I said, like, well, have you ever heard of, like, the Black Dahlia or Jack the Ripper, you know? And <laughs> um, so that was like, I mean, so if there are writers out there, like, you know, you're going to run into a lot of publishers who are just going to tell you stupid things and you shouldn't be discouraged by them. That's mm. the first thing. The other thing is, um, and this, you know, we've done panels at Awesome Con and New York Comic Con on this book. And you have to be really careful not to give away your ending. Yeah. You know, the New York Post wrote a story that did give away the ending. But um, mm -hmm. the challenge to the question that you asked, guys, is that... Um, you want to um, create suspicion, but you don't want to rule anybody in or out too early. Mm, right. um, and that, you know, that that was really hard to do because um, for one thing, you're following an investigation that in the end rules everybody out. So it's, it's, a, it's a great question because what you have to do is balance. Because I had people after the Awesome Con panel saying to me, I think we, Mark and I decided that we weren't going to even uh, 
identify the person or persons we thought were responsible at the at the uh, at the panel. Right. And so afterward, I had people coming up to me saying, "I think it's this person. I think it's this person." And then I thought, you know, maybe that's not fair. Like you have to at least uh, include these people among the suspects. And um, mm. so we did that at New York Comic Con. We, we we changed it around a little bit, but. So you want to do that, but you don't want to say you don't want to give away that right. you think that this this was the, you know these these were the perpetrators or this was yeah. the perpetrator. So it's a real uh, challenging ba balancing act to do it, that. And it, it's somewhat um, helpful in that the way we did it, uh, kind of like I, I think we laid it out. But at, yeah. at first we were trying to just document the 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 original investigation, the two and a half weeks or whatever it was. Mm. And that was kind of its own project. I mean, there's going to be overlap, but then it was, well, what did they not look into? What can, what do we have to like look into? So there were sort of like uh, distinct kind of phases behind the scenes, I guess, to this. Yeah. It all kind of comes in, or a lot of it comes in the solution chapter, but it was a lot more digging, I guess, than reading, you know, than just putting the newspapers back, back in order. Oh, and there are phases of investigation too, like, different suspects pop up at different times because like mark yeah. said we followed it pretty chronologically so we yep. pretty much went with as they were coming up with clues we were doing it linear fashion in that way and you know there were different phases there were there was a guy you know there was one guy who i won't name was uh, definitely a suspect early on and people were even calling for him to be lynched and then you know later on they de they determined that he just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time so uh, but you know he is a suspect in the beginning. So you, when mm -hmm. you're telling that early part of that story, he's in there as one of the suspects. Yeah, it might have been the introduction that you mentioned uh, Thomas Larson, which is Mark Frost's great great grandfather. That you were looking at him briefly. Did you actually eventually talk to Mark and say, "Hey, we briefly looked at your great grandfather"? I remember yeah, that conversation because I was having a lot of talks with Mark at that time because I was writing uh, conversations with Mark Frost, and I I said to him. I was always trying to get him excited about the book because, you know, we had talked about him doing the forward and I, I was yeah. afraid he was going to forget. So I wanted to keep him, you know, emotionally engaged and, and he was and and he came through. I know it's a great forward. And um, yes. but um, I remember saying to him that we uh, we even came across, you know, one of your ancestors, Thomas Lawson. And he said, don't tell me he did it. <laughs> no, that was his response. So, um, but uh yeah, we didn't want to have that conversation. With oh, him. Thank God you know, he dodged the bullet the, there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that forward was, would have been really different if things were not. Yeah. Yeah, that probably wouldn't have been a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you guys did a great job laying the whole thing out, though. I mean, and the journey to your conclusion is, like, really good. And like I said, I, when I'm reading it, I got myself lost. I felt like I was watching one of those true crime stuff, because you lay out the characters in the beginning, but I like how you give us the history of these, these people. They're all people. They deserve for their story to be heard no matter what uh, yeah. they didn't or did do it or the the victim needs her story to be told and it's nice that you gave her uh, you made her human not just a this one this woman went missing you knew nothing about her now we know something about her 
That, that's a really good point. Sorry, Mark, but um, no. just quickly that, um, you know, we did hear from one person, I think, on Facebook who said, can't you just leave the woman alone? And the whole sort of point of our introduction or, or afterward or one of them or both of them is that why should we forget Hazel? You know, I mean, right. she uh, she didn't get the justice that she deserved. And and, mm. you know, why why shouldn't why shouldn't we remember her? You know, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. that, but we tried, we definitely tried to humanize her. But so guys, you were not, uh, you didn't think it was anomalous or jarring that whole section on how um, Lara Flynn Boyle was the better donor? That didn't uh, bother you? <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up, but you know, <laughs> I thought that was an odd choice to be in the middle of the book. Yeah. David, I, was I, I don't think that made it past the editor. No. <laughs> I got to look. I was happy that there was more mention of Twin Peaks than I thought there would be in this book. I mean, whenever you could, you referenced like, these characters remind me of like Twin Peaks or that, you know, this was very much like something da 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 would do. And I thought like, yay, you're coming back. Any chance you get back to Twin Peaks, I was, I thought that was great. <laughs> do you see some similarities yourself that when you're doing this besides a dead body in the on the lake? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, I think you could almost do a book or something, you know, that was that kind of slant if you were just from the Twin Peaks angle. Um, we thought, you know, the story itself was so powerful. We we definitely, you know, acknowledged it the, um, with Mark Frost and the forward and the introduction, but in the, the body itself, we tried, you know, to, to just keep it um, to the main, uh, the story of the time. But yeah, if you, if you were, anyway familiar with Twin Peaks and that's what drew us to us originally you know the significance of it but once like David said we were up there you know nine ten total uh, between us up to Sand Lake New York which is kind of like East Coast you know Twin Peaks it's like um, the woods everywhere and the, the you know there's no log lady but you know mm. there's I don't know what it is about it that the people you the, the modern people we met, you could you could kind of get that otherworldly or not the big city kind of feel to them. And then learning about this from 100 years ago, it's it's like one of the Mark Frost books where he goes back three generations and it's the same family names. And, you know, mm -hmm. what is it? Uh, uh, the Canadian Trapper. I don't know. In one of those books, he has his grandfather and it's based uh, the Renault brothers, I think, yeah, you know, the right. Renaults from the 1900s or something like that. Um, and we, we definitely got that um, feel. There's two characters, Frank Smith and Rudy Gundrum, who are these locals. They're the last people to see Hazel alive. Frank knows her, Rudy doesn't know her, but they're the last people to see her out on this lonely road where close to the pond um, around, you know, it's, it's approaching uh, nighttime. These are like great characters, but uh, Rudy Gundrum, who, spoiler, I guess, but doesn't have anything to do with it. He didn't know her unless we really missed something. Um, but just this great character, you know, lived up on the mountain with his moonshine and his uh, rifle and, and all those kinds of things. And gun drums are all over the place up there. You know, Rudy had at least a dozen great, great grandchildren that, you know, we talked to two or three of them. So in, in talking to these people, you kind of get a sense, you know, these people, I, I wouldn't say they're so insulated from the world or anything, but in, the, in some sense they are, you know, living up there. And, just generations, uh, same names, same people. So that aspect of Twin Peaks, I think, was also, you know, you could find it in the story, just the, the quirky characters, the uncle and the Aunt Minnie, and I mean, so many of them, really, uh, along with the twists and turns of the, of the story. But yeah, 
That was uh, you know, it was great. These fun characters long. didn't want to share everything. Like you, ca- I, I always kept on feeling it's like they're not telling us the whole truth. Like there's something that they're not willing to share with us. Like they want to keep it yeah. private. And they don't want to tell about like who secrets like Twin Peaks, right? right? That's all yeah. over Twin Peaks. Who, yeah. who knows this and what are they not saying exactly? Yeah, that was all over this too. I feel there were people who wouldn't talk to us. You know, um, mm. who just uh, kind of like dismissed us it's out just, of hand because i think because of that whole secretive thing rudy gundrum is an amazing character i mean we did talk to his his um great grandchildren or whatever they were i'm forgetting but uh you know he used to uh if he got uh if he didn't like the way one of his kids was cleaning the floor he would shoot his gun at the floor or something another time he <laughs> one of his kids to climb on his lap and he let them pull the trigger on his gun and and then he would get drunk so often uh, downtown in uh troy that um the bar the bartender and the patrons would carry him out stick him in his wagon and hit the horse on or tap the horse on the back and the horse would know the way <laughs> would drive all the way up the mountain and home and rudy was like comatose from drinking in the back so he was and you know like mark said there are a lot of the uncle and the aunt it's and and that's to say nothing of you know was sand lake was a lumber town uh, like like twin peaks and there are actually two uh, mountain peaks two peaks in uh sand lake so um you know there was there were we were um it was a mill pond mill a lumber pond where she was found yeah yeah mm. Yeah, it was really cool. And they they show that picture um, side by side. I've seen in newspaper articles of of Laura and and Hazel. And it is kind of eerie, you know, completely coincidental. And, and, you know, Mark Frost didn't know a lot of the details, but he spent uh, like lots of summers up there as a young kid. And he was soaking up the small town atmosphere. And there's no Mm. doubt he... um, was influenced in creating twin the town of twin peaks by that time that he spent mm. up there that that i think is is unquestionable was not uh we mentioned his grandfather thomas lawson before who was a doctor small town doctor was he not the basis for um no he was not show? a doctor he was at uh an engineer at rpi lawson he was you're right you're right you're right Calvin i'm w. thinking there's some kind of oh the calhoun hospital was named yeah. after uh, uh betty calhoun guy, that guy was a doctor yeah the, her husband was a doctor that's yeah, yeah okay yeah yeah I, I mean i've heard i can't remember if we talked to mark frost or where i've heard it but like you know there was like a brothel or something not far from where he was in that area and that made him think of one-eyed jacks and yeah. definitely these weird quirky characters that i think he kind of maybe brought into to twin peaks but yeah i could definitely see that that's a great point there was a huge uh usually <clears throat> madam up there named named uh Mame Faye, and um, there's actually a, a great uh, documentary about her that you can see, I think, on, on YouTube or on PBS or something called Sitting on a Million. She was a real character, and she and they had a red light district down in downtown Troy, which was not far from where Hazel worked mm. uh, at one time. And um, it was, you know, the, the police um, would stand guard over it, and, and May's... Uh, workers her sex workers would uh bring out cups of hot coffee to the cops you know um <laughs> yeah so there's you know it, you're that's a, i didn't even think of one eye jacks when i uh when i was writing about that but that's a great point 
Yeah, right away, right away, that's where my mind was going. It's like, oh, one hit Jack. It's the same thing. Yeah. Wow. So I'm curious now, where are you guys going from here? I mean, I thought there was talk about a documentary or a film, or it seemed like there's something else you guys might be Before able to do. the book was written, book. right, Ben? I remember. I know, um... but I'm excited for him. And I feel like, I feel like you guys should be on high. You guys should be celebrating right now for the book. But I feel like, I feel like there is a lot of excitement for this book. And I'd be curious to know if, if there's other things that might be able to do with it. You're right. We did. Um, we have, we've had discussions. I'm learning. You know, I think uh, the sort of Hollywood, whatever side of things, is, moves a little slower. I guess maybe in some regards, these things can take a long, long time. We don't have anything actively going on. Like I said, we had some discussions and people were interested and excited, but it was just us sitting in a room, kind of talking. We didn't have mm. a book or, or something to, to kind of show them. So yeah, we'll catch our breath here and, and see where we're at. Our sort of partners who kind of helped foster um, the deal to, to get us going, there is a company called Synergistic. They were actually working on um, some form of documentary. I'm not sure where that is or, or okay. what stage that is, but um, we do know the, the, the um, gentleman who was working on that. Um, and then on the other side, like I said, it would be great. Um, I can definitely see this um, in, in my mind. It's a, it's a, it would be a television show because there's so much in there, the twists and the turns, mm. um, as opposed to a two-hour movie. And we're just, you know, obviously still kind of in this golden age where there's just content everywhere. You know, they're looking for uh, things like this, and it's got the the tie to Twin Peaks and really uh in and of itself you know it captured the nation 100 years ago and, and yeah. it's just kind of forgotten so um we'll see i guess uh stand by on that um i would throw out there um something that we have been planning and i i've just been you know got busy with the holidays and got sick and everything um but the late great uh sleeping deer meadow radio may be revived in, in a sort of a new format i can't remember if we mentioned this to you guys but yeah. As we said, you know, through this uh, long period, um, we spoke to all kinds of people, historians, um, people, uh, descendants from people who were involved in the case, uh, local detectives, local um, interested parties. So we have like, you know, basically a, this huge catalog um, that was filtered into the book basically. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, thinking another way to get people kind of involved into the investigation and kind of follow us along with planning to uh kind of revisit those and put those out there for, for people to hear we i think my favorite of these we would have these um round table like every time we would go up there for a weekend uh the sand lake historian bob moore was was the one who basically facilitated this but he would gather interested parties you know um we spoke to um hazel the weekend before she, fourth of july weekend before she was murdered she went to go visit um uh first cousins of hers uh where was it at david schenectady. Yeah. Schenectady, schenectady thank you um the nearby town schenectady and through bob and all these kind of connections we were able to um speak to her cousins uh grandchildren or great-grandchildren i'm sorry i get confused they were actually you know kind of amateur detectives themselves looking into this so they uh, an fbi investigator an fbi agent got in uh, interested at one point would show up at these uh, round tables. Have to mention Mark Marshall, who was uh, known as the detective up there. In terms of rabbit holes, I mean, this guy lives in these rabbit holes and he's definitely still looking at this. Um, he's basically, I think, on board with uh, sort of the solution, but there's, you know, details and you can just, 
kind of keep going forever this we just got yeah. a couple of emails from him uh recently where he's still you know uh looking at a, he's trying to track down when when hazel met her first and how she got her first job basically looking for some more concrete details looking at church records with the employer there so yeah this thing yeah it was uh it was great and it kind of it kind of keep is still going in the background i guess in, in some ways yeah, I yeah. feel like I'm always having questions still. I'm still kind of like, at one point it seemed like she had more money than she should have. Like, it's, am I right about that? That she somehow, she could do trips and she had nice clothing and it's like. Uh, I'll let David answer. I think we actually might disagree a little on this one, David, but I'll let you take a whack at it. My position would be that you're right, Ben, that she, uh, and that that was certainly something that came up a lot during the course of the investigation that the press made a big deal out of that. She had a really close friend who was a housekeeper across the street or next door uh, named Carrie Weaver, who was originally from Ohio, but uh, was you know working in Troy. They traveled together and saw each other frequently. And she also uh, sent, uh, told the press that she, so they, we, I think Hazel, we think Hazel was making $4.50 a week. And that, um, you know, Carrie was making a comparable amount. Um, and Carrie herself says to the press at one point that she never understood how um, Hazel could afford to dress the way she dressed and travel mm. the way she traveled and eat the way she ate um, at fancy restaurants. And so that, that was, you know, I, I bought into that mystery, yeah. Yeah, uh, and I was a little, a little more skeptical uh some of those things as david mentioned it was kind of the press that kept putting that out there and we know the press uh would hype certain things up we we talked to some local historians who kind of said that traveling around that hazel was known to do was actually something that people could do within a budget in those days it wasn't really uh that expensive it was something cheap that you could actually do that young people would do carry uh her friend that uh, David mentioned, I saw her a bit of a, a bumpkin. She was from Ohio, and there was there was this long quote. I don't know how she does this. They kind of ran with. Yeah, and I'm like, well, people from Ohio. And I, well, what I'm saying <laughs> from 1908. Where's Scott Ryan? Scott Ryan. Yeah. thing there. But Hazel, I mean, she did grow up in Troy from the age of 14. So you know, yeah, the fact that she could make a doll. I don't know. I saw that. I didn't see the police's focus on that. I saw the, the press, so right. we, we won't really know there, but I think they're looking for things, areas of dirt. And, you know, if she yeah. was good with her money, she was good with her money. I don't know. Mm. She And another thing to consider is she did, um, she got free room and board. You know, she lived in these houses with these rich people who then paid her and she had this money to do what she wanted with, so. Yeah. Speaking of, I was just going to say, uh, Brian, that speaking of Carrie Weaver, what, I mean, there's so many mysteries about where, where what, what he, Hazel was murdered on a Tuesday night and quit her job on a Monday morning before that. And there's so many mysteries about where she um, was the rest of the day on Monday and on Tuesday up until she was spotted near the pond at 7.30 at night. But uh, one of those mysteries was that she had told Carrie Weaver, with whom the so-called Ohioan country bumpkin that she was going, Carrie was going on vacation <laughs> for like two or three weeks and they were close. And Hazel said she would 
go see her off at the train station and she didn't. That was one of the, um, you know, nobody, she never told anybody that she had changed her mind or, so that was the whole, mo a lot of Monday and Tuesday, um, you know, what Hazel was doing. That's why, you know, some people say, well, couldn't she just have been attacked by some random guy uh, oh. by the pond? And it's possible, but even there's so many uh, strange things that happened leading up to it that it didn't seem likely to me. And I think to us, just because right. there's so many strange things that happened leading up to it. And I'm sorry, at the very least, if it was some uh, random guy, then there had to be some cover up because there's all these gaps where she's yeah. with somebody and we still don't know what happened. So even if they didn't do it, then they did, they they thought they would be uh, found guilty. So, and that's, you know, giving them a lot of- uh, Yeah, right. Nobody stepped forward to say that they were with Hazel Monday night. Nobody stepped forward to, to say they were with Hazel during huge chunks of Tuesday. We still don't know how she got out to the pond or, or how she was planning to get back because she had left her suitcase in Troy and what she was doing at the pond. Yeah, she, um, I mean, she spent somewhere Monday night and they, you know, they checked all the hotels and everything. So if it was a random thing, then they would have found, you know, some trace of her. Good thing. Or somebody would have come forward and said she was with me on Monday night and, you know, have an alibi and whatever, but nobody did. Right. And nobody reported her missing either between Tuesday and the, uh, when they found the body. Nobody said, you know, where's Hazel? Or um, just weird, just one weird thing after another. Right. Yeah. And you think about family and things like that. I mean, I guess maybe she was, maybe that's just how her personality was. Like, oh, that's Hazel. She, <laughs> she goes off and does her own thing. I don't know. That's not a bad maybe. thought. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the, the central point with her. There's almost like two interpretations of all her acts. She's this quiet homebody or no, she's got all these relationships with yeah. all these men. There's exactly. definitely that, like, Twin Peaks, like Laura Palmer, oh, she had, like had dual life, right? You had somebody absolutely and quiet, and then you realize, oh, maybe she was with. She had two boys. She had a boyfriend and another guy on the side. You never know. I mean, it's yeah, and that's all coincidental. Mark Frost and David, you know, they didn't know anything about that. But yeah, in uh, Twin Peaks, it's the secret diary or the secret diaries. In uh, this, it's that uh, chest of uh, postcards with all these anonymous, or um, they just use their. Um, uh, didn't sign their names, just their initials so all the, from all these men. Uh, yeah. So same kind of thing, chest full of and, secrets. And the whole mystery man, I mean, like you think of the pilot of Twin Peaks, you have like Jacoby listening to his headphones and it's like, there's a mystery man in the red Corvette and stuff like that. And you guys mm -hmm. kind of have a whole section about the mystery people. And and I think that's interesting. I, I kind of imagined you guys are doing research for that and trying to do like, who was these people that you, know, you, you briefly get their name and, and trying to figure out who they could have been. Absolutely. Yeah, and there there were a ton. Did we wind up calling a chapter mystery man? We did. I think so. Like that, right? And um, we didn't even we haven't even talked about that train conductor who uh, was clearly lying about to to police. So uh, you know, and the fact that her his name and number showed up in her uh, among her possessions, and some some people said that. Um, he said he never met her and then he was found meeting some, he was, uh, witnesses said he was meeting with some woman that looked like Hazel in the mm. train station that may or may not have turned out to be Hazel. Um, but, 
he clearly lied because he said he wasn't talking to anybody. So yeah, I take well then that that guy had his own business that he didn't want out there, and that's what he yeah. lied. I don't, I yeah. don't think he. Would, but he there's others. Uh, Jack thing. He had his own. Mark, don't say too much. Don't say too much, of course. But yeah, yeah no, there are. That's that's true. That's yeah. Right. And the interesting thing about this book is like, I almost feel like there's like no characters that I trust in some sense. It's like the only people I can trust is Mark Gibbons and David Bushman. I mean, like you guys telling the story are, is their best bet to, of people to trust, which I think is kind of interesting in a way to go through this and say, who who is telling the truth and what do I believe? And Yeah, I think that's, you know, the nature of it being unsolved. And we, we did, you know, we, could, we came to question the investigators, came to question the press, came to kind of question everybody because there were there were unanswered questions all this all this time later um somebody at, uh, i think the the new york comic-con or one of those if you're at we were talking to them and it kind of they were big true crime fans and they were they were pointing out that um our story is you know we're not with the killer the whole time which is kind of the traditional true crime getting into mm. their heads and and you know what drove them to be sick and all this Ours, we're with the victim, you know, the whole time. Yeah, we're yeah. trying to get to know them. And in my mind, it's kind of a little bit of a subtle difference between maybe, tr you know, traditional true crime and, and more like a mystery that yeah. I think, you know, draws us a little bit more. You know, as Twin Peaks fans, you're not drawn to the gory side of the killing. You know, it's part of it, but, you know, it's the mystery and the unanswered questions and the secrets and all that. But that's also an interesting point because we were talking at one point to a production company before our publisher Thomas and Mercer is owned by Amazon so mm. Amazon has certain I, I think option rights on this book so but before that we were talking to this production company uh, where I know somebody and I said you know is it a is it a is it a problem like that we don't have you know this trustworthy person that you can um, like an agent Cooper for example mm. and he said you know we could or or that it's not contemporary and she said you know you can tell the story you can use the investigator the, the current the contempt the current day investigator or in this case investigators and make them characters who are going back you know who are doing this research and and tell the story through their eyes so that was a pretty that was pretty much what you just said use that to uh to come up with your your audience surrogate i guess yeah know? yeah yeah and the only thing is, I think we've already touched on this, but I really like the, I mean, I think you must have taken some artistic liberties, but I love that it is somewhat of a story. I feel like in some ways I'm reading a novel because at times there's people who are they're like quoted as saying, this is what, you know, I said to so-and-so. And I I think I feel like I'm more engaged in the story that it isn't just the facts, but I love the facts. So it, you guys really did do a good job balancing that and all the research you found and being able to put that in and bring the, it to life. One thing, you know, yeah, about that research, when we when we found the newspaper articles, we must have had, um, I, I had a hard drive crash, I couldn't tell you right now, um, but we had 12 or 13 sort of different accounts of this two and a half weeks. Wow. So you're kind of getting uh, different little facts and different perspectives in each of these accounts. And, you know, that was part of our job to, to take all that um, and to put it into to one kind of story. And I'm sorry, what was the original question, Ben? I'm sorry. I mean, I wouldn't say it very well, but I think I was fascinated that like you have, 
you have the facts of saying, you know, here's what happens. Uh, the but then you have movement. these characters who are also kind of like right, talking right, and right. having a dialogue. And it, it's not just like uh, <clears throat> the, the the police interrogating somebody. There's sometimes gotcha, we, yeah. we had a conversation of pulling up. Well, out of the and then, so that's, yeah, so that's what I was getting at. So the, these different accounts would add these little facts that, you know, maybe wouldn't change who, who the murderer was or anything like that. But a little anecdote about, you know, her uncle uh, being completely disinterested when he heard about that there was a ruckus at the pond that yeah. might be his his niece. So, you know, you get a you get a sense of this guy here. We're thinking mm. about this and you get all these other little facts and and so many newspaper articles that you would find different direct quotes from these people. So you're getting their exact words, which we use wow. when we created those scenes. We would create dialogue, but if we had quotes that you know, fit that were central to it. We we definitely use them and then just kind of go off of them. Um, awesome. But yeah, I'm really glad. I think there were two things we were trying to accomplish with this. There was, and it, and it kind of goes back to our initial drafts where David was much more um, fact-driven, kind of like a, from a journalistic approach and mine first draft was more, let's just forget the facts. I mean, we know them, <laughs> let's just tell the story now. Yeah. And I think over the years and many <laughs> discussions and uh, changes and different approaches, uh, we came up with a sort of a hybrid, this creative nonfiction. Um, and I'm glad, you know, Ryan was, I think, talking about the investigation, but also the um, the story side. I think there are, there are different ways to tell this. It could have been, you know, either if maybe if David had gone off and I had gone off, he, he would have written a, you know, a more journalistic and I would have written a novel and it would have been two different products. But I think because we had these different strengths and weaknesses, we were able to kind of merge in. And I think overall it would be, it's a better uh, end result. Yeah, you guys really did complement yeah. each other very well. Um, we were also getting feedback from our um, editors about which way to go on that too. And and I think the editor editors were telling us to go somewhere in the middle of the, those two extremes. But I'll get, there were, like Mark said, there, there were a lot of quotes in the newspapers and the in, the inquest was a great place. I mean, there was so much that we took directly from the uh, inquest where they actually, papers actually quoted what was going on and what was being said. But I'll give you an example of a situation where we, there were times where we made up dialogue, but I'll give you an example of one to sort of show you that we never, we never changed anything uh, mm. substantive. So there's a scene where um, the cops are walking around the pond looking for, um, might've been even the, the scene where they were gonna drain the pond. And you had all these reporters there and they were waiting for something to happen. And so they were walking around the pond and this is all true, this all happened. And they found a handkerchief with the letter P on it. Mm. And so, I actually wrote that scene. So I had one, one of those cop, uh, was it, wasn't the press, it was the cops who found it. Um, no, so yeah, it was, it was two of the cops were in powers. So <laughs> I, so I knew that they were walking around. I knew that the, when it happened, I knew that the cops found this handkerchief with the letter P on it. So I had one cop say to, uh, I had the cop power say to the other cop, um, you know, does this mean anything to you? The letter P and the other cop goes, not unless you killed her because powers begins with a P. So, <laughs> so that was kind of an example of where we just invented something to keep the story flowing, but right. not yeah. any... Uh, it was lighthearted, I yeah. liked it, yeah.
obviously we're trying to get this book into as many hands as possible. So if you like Twin Peaks or if you like true crime or um, mysteries um, or history, um, politics, um, they all play a role. So, so please, you know, uh, uh, you know, also I think it's good to um, keep people, uh, to convince people that there's still interest in Twin Peaks out there. I think that you know, for that reason, we'd, we'd like to see the book do well for that reason also, you know, to uh, show that Twin Peaks is still viable and in 10 years. If you want we... season four, buy our yeah. book. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. Nice. <laughs> and you know, I, I've got the hardcover, I've got the Kindle version, I've got the audio book, but where would you guys recommend uh, picking up this book? It's definitely in bookstores and it's also available. You can get uh, it online at your favorite bookseller. You can get it from Fayetteville Mafia Press. Uh, they are selling uh, copies of it. Matt Seitz's bookstore, S-E-I-T-Z, uh, who's a writer for New York and New York Magazine and Vulture, a great film critic who uh, and TV critic who's written books about Wes Anderson and Mad Men. Mm -hmm. He's got an online bookstore and, and Mark and I signed copies for, for his bookstore. So he's selling it wherever you want to get it. It's going to be, I think, helpful to us and helpful to Twin Peaks. Yeah. Awesome. And it's like a prequel to Twin Peaks. It's sort of like the prequel. Tied. Yeah. 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 Multiverse. Yeah. Multiverse. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen, for being on today's show. Where can everybody, can people follow you guys on social media? I am Deer Meadow Radio from the Late Lamented podcast that may return. So point your uh, browsers back to there. Uh, you can still, if you're wanting to check up on Twin Peaks, the material on Deer Meadow Radio was meant to be sort of timeless. Uh, so you can go check it out. Uh, I think episode three is Hazel Drew. I have not listened to it in many years. So it would be <laughs> kind of funny to listen to it. I'm sure it's very inaccurate, dated and poor production quality, uh, but it's out there. But also, um, more significantly, like I said, we do have these um, kind of catalog of interviews and roundtables and stuff that I think if you're into the book, uh, you would be interested, I think, in uh, hearing like some really funny people in these, uh, some of the locals. Uh, the guy, the grandson of the Teal's Pond, Kenny, uh, you know, the titular Teal's Pond, we, we talked to their couple, two or three of their grandchildren of the original farmer, and they're just hilarious. You know what I mean? The guy's like, flirting he's like 80 flirting with his wife and all this kind of stuff <laughs> on the, the round table um so yeah dear metal radio is the keyword for me that's on uh, twitter there's a, a facebook page which does have a lot of hazel Drew stuff on there pictures and stuff um and hopefully we'll be updating this stuff in the weeks and months and uh my partner david bushman facebook page is called hazel drew and twin peaks the real story so you can um nice a post there or, or read about developments there and on twitter i'm at d bushman underscore f f as in frank m as in mary and p as in peter well thank you gentlemen um thank well guys. thanks guys yeah yeah really nice to talk to you guys again i mm -hmm. don't know if we'll have a chance to see each other again but hopefully not too long in the future yeah well, i don't know if we have to write another book to get back on with you guys yeah. or what <laughs> Well, we should, I really would like to do this someday if, if you know this pandemic stuff doesn't get in the way. We, I would love if you gave us a tour of uh, uh, the neighborhood of Hazel oh. Drew. I mean, that would be just mind blowing. I think to be able to like you know show us around. And I imagine that the Frost live right near there. I mean, I don't know if they probably don't want you to say where they live, but I think 
They're probably we, in that neighborhood. David, are we not tentatively planning a couple dates up there in the next couple um, of months? Book signings yeah. or something? Yeah. I think yeah. Uh, both in Troy and, and Sand Lake, I don't, I can't remember exactly when, but we've, you know, the historians up there, the historical societies um, are, are both interested in that. So we're going to have events. So that's we'll cool. see. to come, let us know and maybe we can, oh, absolutely. We can fit in. Uh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. It's, keep us posted I'm when so that excited. happens. I'm so don't want to risk anyone's health, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, you're definitely welcome to come. That'd be great. Great to see you I guys. I hope you guys are, are so proud. You guys are always so, uh, you know, just very calm and collected. But you guys have done amazing work. I mean, this stuff you guys should be so proud of. I mean, five years, and it really is such a tight book. I mean, it really yeah. is a solid tight book. That I mean, I'm so impressed by what you guys were able to accomplish in this. Cool cover, too, right? Isn't that yes. cover? Yeah, cool? so cool. So awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you know, keep keep go keep it going, guys. All right. Please, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll be back in six months. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, I was saying maybe in a month or so we'll do something else. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, you guys are the Twin Peaks community, so you got. Well, we're all in it together. We're all we all going each other out. I almost asked you, David, what your next book was, but I was like, I also wanted you to enjoy what you have, but it seems like every year, every two years, you've got another book out. <laughs> I actually have another book written. <laughs> I knew it. Scheduled. It's about the, did you guys ever see the movie, um, The Place Beyond the Pines with Bradley Cooper and Ryan Gosling and Eva Mendez? Yeah, it's about police corruption up in Schenectady, New York, um, and that book's written. So that's probably coming out in two thousand and twenty-three. Wow. wow, that's awesome. He wrote that. Yeah. He wrote that while he was waiting for my drafts to get back. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, basically, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I give you a hard time about the um, computer and the wallet and all that, but how about the time my my battery died on my car? And you and we had yeah, to, there uh, were a couple. I didn't want to. Yeah. You know. oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it was an adventure. All right. Thank you, everybody, for being on today's show. We'll be back when we are back, when the time is right. But if you have a comment, question, or theory, give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped.gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Sometimes I'm posting on Reddit. And uh, subscribe to us on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify. And uh, we'll be back in a few weeks, maybe. See you soon. Mm -hmm.